welcome back to Basic Bible 101. In our last lesson, we had covered David the king and his affair with Bathsheba and what that led to as far as consequences in his life. Uh, one other little note before we leave David and go on to the next king of Israel. Um, when David first became king, if you recall, after Saul had died and he became the king of Israel, he wanted to build a temple to the Lord because if you recall up until this point the Israelites had put the Ark of the Covenant in a tent and it was kind of moved with them when they traveled through the wilderness and then during the time of Judges there never was really a consolidated effort to build a temple and so once there was peace in the land after a lot of battles uh, King David decided you know what I want to build the temple um, that God can dwell in, that it'll be just an awesome place. And he, he decided this, but then the Lord spoke to Nathan, his, the priest, and Nathan went to David and said, this is what God told me. Now, if you want to look this story up directly, it is in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, Nathan said, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are, are you the one to build my house? me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought you Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my, young, my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all the enemies from before you. Now, now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them any more, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, so we see that the Lord did not want David to build the house, uh, the temple. He wanted to leave that for the next generation, mainly because David had been a man of shedding so much blood and so much war. And so today we will see how the kingdom developed under David. If you have, look in your uh, student notebook, I believe there is, well, there may not be in the student notebook. Um, then check online, there should be a map of the size of the nation under King David. And so you'll get some idea of how the nation grew. And then there's a map of how the uh, nation grew under his son. I hope you had a chance to read through some of the Psalms, which we talked about quite a few of them David had written. 
And if you did, you saw that it runs a wide gamut of emotion in the book of Psalms. Everything from joy, um, ecstasy, where David is dancing down the street, he's so happy, to deep sorrow, where he's just practically suicidal. So I would encourage you, if you have some time, to go ahead and spend some time in the Psalms if you had not already had a chance to. Um, shortly after David's sin with Bathsheba, one of his sons, Ammon, decides that he really wants to have his half-sister. Uh, it's David's daughter, but by a different wife. And so he concocts this plan where he, he grabs her and rapes her. Uh, unlike, uh, you know, he could have appealed to David, said, I want to marry her, and, and David could have made that choice. But instead, Ammon decides that he just can't wait. He must have this. Now, does this sound a little bit... Uh, somewhat like his father's um, impetuousness with um, just having to have Bathsheba. So we see that sin begets sin, that David's tendencies are shown in the next generation, which we know to be true. Now remember too that Nathan had said, okay, you're going to pay fourfold, just as you, as David had had indicated that anybody who would have done such a thing should pay fourfold. And so we see that um, Absalom, who is um, Tamar, which is the, the half-sister of Ammon, uh, Absalom decides or hears about what happened. And obviously his sister Tamar has been shamed. And so he is so mad he is just going to you know, fester with anger. So for two years, he do, he bites his tongue and he doesn't say anything. And then the opportunity comes up where Absalom can kill his half-brother Ammon, and he does. So we see that not only did David lose the son that he was um, having originally with Bathsheba, but now he's lost his second son. Absalom, who is next in line to be king because he's the eldest, decides that it's time for him to be king, that he realizes he's going to be in trouble, and he does kind of have a little skirmish with his dad after this takes place with Ammon. His dad, David, instead of disciplining him in, in some way, decides that, okay, he's ran off, all is forgiven, and, and eventually Absalom comes back. So there's peace in this time between the family again. Talk about a dysfunctional family. I know many of us come from situation, family situations that are not ideal. But hopefully none of us have one sibling killing another sibling and all this other drama taking place. Okay, so Absalom decides in chapter 15 of Second Samuel that he's going to set himself up as king. And when David hears about it, he's quite um, concerned. And so he because Absalom has collected a pretty good-sized army with him, David flees from the city, certain that he's going to be killed. And um, But he has v some very loyal followers. And so, as we know, we've seen it before he became king. And so his, his, uh, his army joins around him, the king's guard, and several of his key advisors. And they say, no, we're, we're going to protect you, David, and, and uh, we believe that God is on your side. So a war ensues between David's men and Absalom, and Absalom in the process is killed. Now Absalom, 
one of the things you'll hear about him if you do any further study in scripture he has long beautiful hair and how he dies is his long beautiful hair he's running through a forest on his horse and his hair gets tangled in a tree and uh, the king's um, guard come and kill him so um, that is the end of Absalom so David now has paid with three sons all right so after this time there's a period of time when um, there's somewhat calm in the in the world and in their little world and David uh, is growing old as he's growing old he grows very feeble and he's very cold all the time and so they find this young little maiden to, that just takes care of him he's kind of his nursemaid and she'll even sleep with him now they don't have sex they just cuddle but it's it's sort of like his pet this this young girl um, she is from a different um, type but di she's not an Israelite she's a foreigner she's a Shunammite as they refer to her uh, her name is Abishag uh, I, we will hear about Abishag here in just another few minutes because she does play an important part but at this point she's just a servant that just uh, curls up with Dave and takes care of him all right, so now remember, David has, uh, well, I don't know, maybe you haven't uh, read this part. David had promised Bathsheba that her son Solomon would be the next king. And so she was quite happy about this. And so as time goes by, his, actually the son that's older than Solomon, uh, Adonijah is his name. Adonijah decides, you know what, I'm really the next in line to be king and I should be king. So he begins to plot this overthrow of his father's kingdom. And he gets enough um, people on his side, mostly by just trying to woo people into seeing how great he is and, and how he should be the next king. And in the process, um, he gathers a lot of uh, support from the uh, some of those that were closest to David sadly and so uh, Adonijah decides on a particular day he goes out and he gets a bunch of cattle and sheep and they have a big sacrifice a big worship celebration and he says that I'm going to be king well in the meantime one of David's advisors gets word of it Nathan remember his his good buddy that um, talked to him about the Lord uh, originally about his sin uh, Nathan comes to David and said, David, well, first he goes to Bathsheba and he says, Bathsheba, didn't you say that you wanted that Solomon was going to be the next king? And, and of course, Bathsheba concurs. And then he says, well, uh, you know, Adonijah thinks he's going to be king. And so if you want to save your life and the life of your son, you need to go talk to David right away. So that's what happens. Bathsheba goes in and talks to David and says, didn't you promise me that my son would be the next king? And David says, yes. And then he says, well, she says, well, why is Adonijah claiming that he's the king? And then shortly after she has her conference with David, in comes Nathan and he says the same thing. He says, sure enough, um, the Adonijah has set himself up as king and you are, you know, you're going to have to do something unless you want it to go this way. And so David, old and feeble as he is, not in good health, uh, makes a declaration in the city. Now remember, Adonijah is still out of town. He makes a declaration in the city. He has Solomon put on his horse. They ride through the town with the people. Uh, 
the announcement being said, Solomon is the king, Solomon is the king. And then David brings him into the um, throne room and has him sit on his throne and it's official. Solomon is the new king. Well, word gets back to Adonijah that this has happened well, in his absence and everybody flees. They've suddenly decided, oh, oh, that makes us traitors. We better get out of here. And Adonijah himself, realizing what deep trouble he's in, runs into the temple and grabs hold of the horns. Okay, now I'm sure you're wondering, what are these horns in the temple? Uh, part of the um, altar had some kind of horns on it. And I, I don't know if they mean like horns, like uh, symboli symbolizing like a cow's horn, or maybe a long horn. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But whatever it is, he grabs hold of this horn, uh, which symbolizes power. I think it's designed to show God's power. Um, and uh, there's probably details about that prior to this, if you wanted to go back and study a little bit more through um, Numbers and Leviticus and that stuff that we skipped over. Um, but it's at this point that Adonijah realizes that my only hope is just to make this appeal. Well, Solomon said, ha has his men run off and try and get him. And Adonijah says, don't kill me. And so Solomon says, well, if you prove yourself to be a man of standing, I won't kill you. And so Adonijah says, okay, that's great. So David doesn't kill, I mean David, uh, Solomon doesn't kill him at that point. Well, at this point, Sol before David has died, he tells Solomon a few things. He says, I have a few undone um vendettas that need to be taken care of before you'll, your kingdom will be secured. And so he names off two or three situations that David has just sort of let sit there that now need to be taken care of. Because they were politically, uh, there was no way David could take care of them, but Solomon can. And so he, he gives a few little instructions to Solomon. And Solomon is very wise, and as soon as his uh, David dies, he immediately takes action on the things that David told him about. In the process, Adonijah, not wanting to give up easily, goes to Bathsheba and says, you know, I realize I made a mistake, but it would make me really happy since our father David has died if I could have his uh, little handmaiden. Um, what was her name again? Abishag. <laughs> so he wants this little gal and so Bathsheba doesn't see any problem with it and he says could you just make this appeal for me to Solomon and so Bathsheba agrees and yet what's really happening here is um, Adonijah is basically setting himself up as an equal to David by sleeping with his handmaiden in the same way that one of the ways they that someone could say well I'm the next king is by trying to sleep with the women that the king slept with. Um, I don't know why that would cause them to be in, in, of any more power, but it does say that they can invade the king's private territory. And so uh, Bathsheba goes and, and makes this appeal to Solomon, and Solomon is outraged. He sees right through it immediately, and he says, no way, and in fact, because he made this request, I know what his intentions are, and he has uh, Adonijah killed. Okay, so now uh, Solomon's kingdom is fir firmly established and he 
decides that he just really needs God's blessing before he moves forward. So in chapter 3 of 1 Kings, we see that David goes up to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. And while he's up there, the Lord appears to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God basically says, ask for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon, this is Solomon's answer in verse 6. You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? What a sweet request. He's asking God for wisdom. The Lord was pleased with Solomon that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administrating justice, I will do what you have asked, and I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So Solomon wakes up and he's just overwhelmed with what God has promised him. And this is an all-time high in the kingdom. We see immediately Solomon's wisdom because in that same chapter... Uh, one of the things that the king would do is when there were squabbles among the people and there wasn't, you know, it was judged, but they could overrule it, whatever it was too much for whatever judge was at the uh, dealing with it, they would could appeal to the king. And so in this case, there's two prostitutes who come before the king. And their story is um, one of them who's saying, um, I've been wronged, this this roommate of mine uh, stole my baby. She proceeds to tell the king that while she was asleep her roommate, they both had babies at about the same time, and her roommate's baby died in the night and she switched the two children so that when this woman woke up she looked next to her and it was a dead baby and and she thought it was hers at first and then she looked closely and realized it wasn't her baby. So the king, uh, you know, it's tough to tell, I mean I don't know that we can really tell a lot of difference between newborns. Sometimes they look a lot alike. Now, sometimes they don't. But there are definitely babies that, you know, when they're really little, they all look kind of wrinkly and red. So um, I can understand the king's dilemma. Who is telling the truth here? And so King Solomon does something that becomes famous. He says, bring me a sword, and I will cut the baby in two and give half to each woman. Well, the real mother immediately says, no, no, don't do this, don't do this. She can have the baby. And so Solomon realizes it really is her baby. And so he takes the baby from the woman who has stolen it and gives it to the true mother. How interesting, because in in that same situation, the mother who had stolen the baby was like, okay, fine, cut it in half. Well, she'd already lost one baby. Maybe she wanted her roommate to suffer as as badly as she had. Um, But it's pretty obvious then which one 
was the real mother. The fact that he thought to handle it this way was just showing how God's wisdom worked in him. And we see it over and over. And in fact, if you take some time to read the book of Proverbs, you will see much of the wisdom of Solomon. It's a great book. In fact, you literally could read a chapter a day for every day for a month, and you would have covered the entire book. And so I would really encourage you to spend some time reading this, the Proverbs of Solomon. Now, Solomon also wrote uh, the book of Song of Solomon, which is a beautiful love story. It has a lot of romantic, even sexual undertones. And um, it presents a whole different side of what it means to be in a relationship with someone you love and yet be uh, blessed, have it be blessed by God. What is sad is that King, Dave, King Solomon, for all his wisdom, uh, he keeps making these alliances with women from other countries. You know, he marries the one, the daughter of Pharaoh, and then he takes a few other wives. And um, in all of this, the other wives want to um, worship in their own way. They don't want to worship his God. Now remember, the only thing that God really required of Solomon was that he did not worship other gods. He just worshiped the Lord God. And so because Solomon was trying to keep peace, he was a great peacemaker, he built little temples for all these foreign gods around and allowed his various wives to worship in the way that they saw fit. But in the process, he also realized, I need to build a temple for our God. So he begins the process of building the temple. If you look in the middle of 1 Kings, beginning in like chapter 6, you will see the great description of how wonderfully wealthy Solomon was and how he was able to um, build this temple. I mean, every detail is just spelled out so perfectly. And he's using... 25 tons of gold. I don't even know what the value of that would be today, but a lot. Um, he, all It's lined with cedar. It's uh, inlaid with gold in various places. There are bronze pillars, gold bowls, a golden altar. This is an elaborate, amazing temple. In fact, people come from far and wide to come see the Temple of Solomon. And Israel, the people of Israel, from here on, will always refer back to Solomon's temple. Now, eventually this temple becomes destroyed, it's down the way, but it during this time, this is when Israel is at its greatest, and it's under a wise king, and there's peace in the land, and the people are truly prosperous. So this is the golden age for Israel. In chapter, let's see, where is it? Chapter 8, um, we see that it's time to dedicate the temple in the verse 22, begins Solomon's prayer to God of dedication for the temple. And he says, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now, Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said... You shall never fail to have a man uh, to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, O God of Israel, let the word that you promised through your servant David, my father, come true. 
Um, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. O Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of where you said my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer of your, serv your servant's prayer toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. I'll let you go ahead and read the rest of it. It's a beautiful prayer. And all the way through it, he's saying, God, this temple is yours, and we want it to stand for your presence in our midst. And when everybody, what we'll see is eventually in the New Testament, they will swell, swear by Solomon's temple or whatever. It's give, it would give authority to anything someone said. And in fact, when people would turn toward the temple and pray, it would uh, give it more, I guess, in their hearts and, and what David or what Solomon had prayed, it would get God's attention. Much the same way as the Muslims turn towards Mecca when they pray. Okay, so we see that, that Solomon has done everything right. He's married these foreign women, which was a problem. But then, it wasn't too long before he started building these little temples for his various wives so they could worship them the way they wanted to. And pretty soon they said, come worship with me. And so he would worship with his these various gods. And in the end, Solomon so destroyed so much of what God wanted to do in and through him because he didn't obey. He did not follow the promise that he had made to God. And so we see that this, you know, when you look at it, he has something like 300, uh, where is it? It's chapter 11, it talks about King Solomon's wives and that he had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, um, but his wives led him astray. Okay, we can see that those closest to us can be some of our toughest stumbling blocks. And obviously, when you marry someone who does not have the same faith as you, you run the risk of um, being divided in your loyalty to God. Okay, so we can move through the rest of 1 Kings at, to chapter 12. And right before that, uh, Solomon, well, before we leave Solomon, let's let's look at a few more things. Um, he wrote the book of Proverbs that we've, we've talked about, and I would encourage you to read that. It's a great book. He also wrote the book of Song of Solomon, and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastics. So if you take some time and just uh, filter through some of Ecclesiastics, you will get an idea of what was going on in the life of Solomon towards the end of his life. Um, he talks about everything being meaningless, that pleasures are mean meaningless, money is meaningless, even wisdom is meaningless. It's such a heartbreaking book. You know, you can't really take it at face value, like if you just grabbed one verse out of it and says, this is what I'm going to claim. That would be dangerous because he, he says some things that are really kind of contrary to the rest of Scripture. But he's saying it in context because he has abandoned his God and he realizes that he needs God. In fact, when you finally get to the end of Ecclesiastics, you see his heart turning again to God and he realizes that you know, everything is God's. God is the ultimate. Um, so, and nothing else really matters. 
um, it's kind of a dark book, and um, I, I would say that it's um, worth reading through. You could probably read it in one sitting if you just had some time. And you would get a different view entirely than a lot of the rest of Scripture because it was written by someone who is really reflecting on his life, the good and the bad. So much of Proverbs is very positive, it's very wise, it's warnings, it's um, just great instruction. Parable, uh, what we would call, uh, pro well, we call them today Proverbs. Um, little tidbits of wisdom. But by the time you get to Ecclesiastics, it, you realize that um, he he's really struggling in this book, and it has a lot of a lot of truth. Really, it does, but it's also a little bit discouraging to read. Um, so anyway, that just gives you a little idea of what uh, King Solomon was like. Uh, next week we'll talk about what happens with the kingdom. Sadly, because he disobeyed, God tells. Uh, Solomon that he is going to rip the kingdom from him and it will no longer be a united kingdom that David's descendants can rule over. It's going to become a very fractured kingdom and but in the process he will not take Judah away from David's family line. There will always be a descendant of David ruling over the tribe of Judah. Uh, it's about this time after Solomon dies, and we'll talk about this next week with King Rehoboam, what happens that, fa that causes the, uh, the nation to, um, Israel to divide and become basically two nations, the north and, and the south. Okay, some things I'd like you to remember about uh, Solomon, not only that he was the most the wise king, who uh, reigned during the golden age of Israel, that he built the temple, that he wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, Song of Solomon, um, that he had international influence. Uh, he had lots of wives, lots of, um, and eventually fell into uh, worshiping idols. He was the last king to rule over a united Israel, which we'll see next week. Okay. Um, I would love to take a few minutes and read just a little bit of Proverbs, but um, since this lesson is already going a little bit long, we will stop here. Next week we may start with some Proverbs, uh, just to kind of give you a little taste of um, what, what life was like at this time, and then talk about um, how the kingdom um, was torn apart. So um, I want to encourage you to go ahead and read the rest of uh, Second Kings or first Kings and and next week we will actually get into second Kings so you can read ahead if you like we will be covering Elijah who was a great prophet at this time there are many other kings that uh, rule over both the north or either the north or the south kingdom and we won't get into the details of all of them but next week I will give you a brief highlight of each of the different kings well as the main ones alright thanks for joining us today and uh, see you next time <music>